Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, we're looking at the just judgment of God. The just judgment of God. Looking at verses 6 through 11, I'm going to uh, walk back up to verse 5 and bring it in also. But we've been talking as we've been going through uh, the end of chapter 1, chapter 1, verses 18, uh, all the way up to this point, one of the things that had become very clear and probably thematic is this. No person on the face of the earth throughout all time has an excuse for not trusting God. He has given everyone a revelation of himself, if you will. And we need to understand that uh, as such, since no one has an excuse, God will judge mankind on the last day. That day's coming, okay, one day. Yeah, we need to see the certainty of what he is saying today. If I were to put it in one short sentence, it's this. No one in this room will escape judgment from God one day. No one. We can expand it beyond there, but you're the only ones I'm preaching to today. Uh, we can get beyond that and to speak of all mankind everywhere, but right now, in this room, all of us one day will be judged according to our works, what we have done. Believer, unbeliever, you will be judged according to to your works. Paul's bringing that out, and that's one of the primary things we need to think about today. And we need to think about how, as believers, we are in pursuit of something, not good works, but we want and we seek the living God. Two rednecks were sitting in a diner. You know, in East Texas, you got to start it off with two rednecks. Uh, both considered themselves Christians. Uh, both, you know, went to church consistently. Uh, both were uh, individuals who were well-respected among their peers and so forth. Uh, one of them, uh, Bubba, he didn't necessarily uh, really live out being a Christian during the week outside of church. He did all the things that were expected, but it wasn't part of his uh, everyday life. Uh, they were sitting in that diner, and they were discussing, uh, talking about uh, the lack of justice being enforced in America. They were complaining about the state of the U.S. and the moral state in particular and how crime was uh, not being enforced as it should. Justice was not being served. And so Bubba was really harping on this. And finally it got around to religion and Rowdy, his friend, uh, he asked, what what will you do when you get to heaven and God judges you, Bubba? He says, well, God knows me. And he knows how I am. And he knows 
in my heart of hearts, I'm a good guy. God will cut me some slack. Everyone believes that God is going to grade on a curve. He's not. Rowdy looked at Bubba and said, so you don't believe in justice after all. That's what it comes down to. You're not really after justice, he said. I, I want us to look at God's judgment today, if you will, because that's where Paul has gotten to. He's saying no one has an excuse, and as a result, everyone's going to be judged. And so there's three things I want to point out today. And after we've done that, we'll move straight into our time at the Lord's Supper table. But the first thing is this. God's judgment will be according to works. God's judgment will be according to works. Second, there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, don't nobody get all offended and everything, thinking, well, you're not, you know, taking into consideration all the uniqueness that exists in this room and all how we are all very, very different from one another. Used to be the aim was to be one with one another. Now today, the aim seems to be that we want to be different from one another. There are two kinds of people. I'll talk about them in a minute. The third thing, God's judgment is an unflinching judgment. His judgment is an unflinching judgment. First of all, let's think about God's judgment will be according to works. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 5, but... Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. This is consistent throughout Scripture. It is consistent throughout Scripture that on the day of judgment, all mankind will be judged according to what they have done. To the works that they have done. To the fruit of their life. Whether it's good fruit or whether it's bad fruit. A couple of places I'll point out where Scripture says this. Job chapter 34 verse 11. Uh, I'll go to, yeah, I'll stay in verse 11. For according to the work of a man... He will repay him, and according to his ways, he will make it befall him. He's pointing out that God's judgment is on the basis of works. Jeremiah chapter 17, I read it during my pastoral prayer. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind 
to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Many Christians think, well, it doesn't matter what I do. Yes, it does. Indeed, it does. Scripture affirms it over and over and over again. Jeremiah chapter 32, uh, verse 19. I'm going to go back to verse 18. Speaking of God, you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Say, well, you know, Rick, that's the teaching of the Old Testament. That's what you're putting forward right now. That's just the Old Testament, and you know, it was a little different back then. I'd love to have that conversation with you. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. That's only one side of the argument. He rewards those who seek Him. But also, our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, says this, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. <laughs> Here He comes in the clouds. Everybody's going to go, Christians, yes! And then they're going to remember this. Wait a minute, he's going to reward according to what I've done? We'll talk about it. I'm not done. I'm introducing the thought. I'm introducing what Paul is actually saying here. He's saying in chapter 2, verse 5, as I spoke last week, that unrepentant hearts, uh, hard, stubborn, unrepentant hearts are doing what? Storing up wrath for themselves. You're storing up wrath. That's what it says. But then it says, he will render. I mean, he's still in this diatribe we talked about last week, and Paul tells the unknown opponent that he is storing up that wrath through the works of a stubborn heart, and that God has decreed something, that those who do these things ought to die, and you agree with it, and you know it, and you still are unrepentant, he says. God will render. He will pay what is owed. Someone may say, well, you know, Rick, we're not saved by our works. I didn't say we are. I said you're judged by them. 
Paul says you're judged by them. Jesus says you're judged by them. Jeremiah says you're judged by them. Nowhere does it saved say that you are saved by them. Paul is making this distinction. Everyone will be joined, uh, judged according to their works, both believers and unbelievers. He's not speaking of how someone is saved in this text. He is speaking of how all mankind is accountable to God on an individual basis, one by one. All of us. So he wants that to come through. He wants it to be understood. That as the people of God or as the unbeliever. Judgment day. Will have something in it. Judgment. What kind of judgment? And what kind of people will be judged? That's what he gives us in the next couple of verses, verse 7 and 8. He says he's going to render to each, he's going to pay to each one. Uh, that's what that, that word means. God's judgment will be rendered or paid back. That word render means to pay what is owed. He will render each one according to his works to those who by patience and well-doing Seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. In these verses, what Paul is doing is, in verses seven and eight, Paul's laying out the motivations and the desires and the life. And the end and punishment of each kind of person. And there are two kinds. Uh, the first kind of person is the one who perseveres in doing good. Look what it says. To those who by patience in well-doing. Let's stop right there. That word patience uh, uh, Kick it back a few generations. How about this word? Long-suffering. How about this word? Persevere. How about this word? Endure. Those who through endurance, those who through perseverance, uh, persist in doing good. That's what he's saying. We persist in doing good. What are we doing when we do that? The first thing we notice here is we notice an attitude of pressing forward in doing good. The thought here seems to be that the good works are not for merit. Instead, they are seeking something. Look what it says. Seeking for Glory and honor and immortality. 
Do y'all know what those three things have in common? No human being can make those things happen. These are all things that are being sought, that are not of man, but that are of God. Only God can bring to us glory and honor and immortality. Only God can do those things. And so the idea here is that they're seeking is not to satisfy God with the works of our life. But in the works of our life, we're seeking to be like Him. We're seeking to uh, be uh, created in the image of His Son. And we see there that the reward, eternal life, then is promised to those who do not regard their works as an end in themselves, but see them as marks, not of human achievement, but of hope in God. Their trust is not in their good works, but in God, who is the only source of glory and honor and immortality. They're seeking God. When we do good, when we persevere in doing good, we're doing that seeking God, seeking to be like Him. I think some people get the idea in their head that, uh, that uh, what we have to do in, in doing good and in being persistent in doing good is that we're, uh, we become somewhat perfect. You know, we get, uh, uh, we get good at doing the right things. But this isn't about doing right things. This is about having an attitude of perseverance that includes consistently confession and repentance and faith and never stops. You don't have faith one day and then live the rest of your life without faith and expect to go to heaven. No, there's a persistence and a consistency that is found here. Well, I failed. Am I even saved? Boy, if, if sinning after coming to know Jesus Christ is going to cause me doubt every time I sin, I'm never going to live in a state of confidence. But instead... I live in a state of belief, of faith, of repentance, knowing I'm not perfect, but have as my aim something beyond myself. It's like Paul in Romans 7 when we get there. The thing that I want to do, I don't do that. And that which I don't want to do, I keep doing. Wretched man that I am. Yes? Anybody else feel the weight of that? Wretched man that I am. Anybody else identify with Paul in that passage? And notice he doesn't say, as is one of the phrases of our day, do better. 
Paul doesn't tell himself, do better. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We feel the struggle of Romans 7. And the people here who are getting the reward of eternal life aren't getting it because they're perfect. They're not getting it because they got everything right. They're getting it because day after day after day was a day of faith and repentance and belief and confession. Sorrow, godly sorrow. And joy. Joy in knowing this God who loves and forgives. Who is faithful even when we're not. He renders to those who by patience and well-doing seek for something that is outside themselves. He's speaking of a certain attitude. An attitude that seeks certain qualities. Namely, the qualities. The expectation of becoming more like Jesus Christ. The second kind of person that we find here. Who will be judged according to works also. Verse 8. But he turns on the conjunction there. He will render for those who are self-seeking. And do not obey the truth. But obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. For those who are self-seeking. The second kind of person is self-seeking. This person is a law unto himself and disregards the decree of God that says those who practice such things deserve to die. He's bent on his own way. He pursues obedience to unrighteousness. He lives his life in disobedience And no one is going to tell him what to do. Those who are self-seeking. That word has in it this rivalry. Y'all ever had a rival in your life? Just one time you want to outdo them. Just one time you want to win. Just one time, you want to show them up like they show you up. We usually have rivalries in games, but this is no game. This is eternal, and it involves punishment 
that you cannot endure, but you will endure for all eternity if you do not trust in Christ. There's this sense of rivalry and being in, his, in, in, in this person's being, and he opposes any notion that he is wrong. He's like Bubba that I mentioned earlier. If you were to ask him about his relationship with God, he would answer, God understands me. He'll give me some slack. Verse 9 reiterates what he says in verse 7 and 8. There may be tribulation and distress. Wait, I misread that. I did it for effect if you weren't paying attention. I, I, I read it for effect. There may be tribulation. I want you to know the judgment of God is not a relative thing. It's a certain thing. That word will is absolute. It is future tense and it is certain. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Who does it persistently. Who does it without repentance. Without faith. Without hope. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. The Jew first and also the Greek. And verse 11 wraps this section up. For God shows no partiality. He shows no partiality. God will judge justly, not on a curve. That word partiality is a word that speaks of something that is and doesn't change. Speaking of God, for God shows no. Let me put it this way. For God is identical. That's really what it says. The judgment of God is identical with the God who judges. He does not change. He's not going to change the verdict because you think he ought to. He's not going to change the verdict because your circumstances were not ideal in this world. He's going to judge everyone by their works, whether good or evil. God is unflinching in his judgment. Verse 12. 
I was trying to think of a better illustration than the one I'm going to give you. But I wasn't smart enough. We butchered chickens not long ago. You know, when you do that, you have to do some things that aren't necessary. Y'all see, I have the motion down, right? Now, the first time I executed a chicken, I didn't think I'd have to cut so hard. But it did. And so the first time was kind of rough. You know, you go and you do like that and you just barely nick them. You know? And so you realize, number one, your knife has to be sharp. Number two, you got to bear down, boy. So after a couple, I could take care of it, you know? Even my granddaughter was standing there one day watching me, enjoying butcher day, and she was sitting there looking, hey, chicky, 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 and I reached over there and just, just like that, and she, that chicky. You see, when I started out, I had to get the hang of it, but now... Oh, no, I just grab that thing. I don't even hesitate. God's not going to stop and think about it. Of whether you're going to be judged to eternal hell. Or whether you are going to have eternal life. going to be instant he's not going to have to deliberate he will not have to call a jury together and say y'all help me with this let me just give you some guidance and whatever you decide is it no God absolutely positively will judge according to your works His commands and judgments, they're not relative. Some think that because someone lived in an obscure place on earth or at a time when there was no preacher or under oppressive circumstances, God will show them mercy. No, He won't. The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Why won't he? Because his eternal power, his divine nature have been evident from the beginning. His gospel has gone out. Christian, you're going, Rick, 
Is he going to judge me by my works? Yes. I love the picture and the portrait that we find in Scripture where it calls Jesus our advocate. You all know what that is? That's a counselor. He's standing there with us in the courtroom, if you will. And we're being judged by all of our works. And then Jesus turns and says, as he did in the Gospels, well done, good and faithful servant. Who's waiting to hear that? Well done, good and faithful servant. Anybody? Well done. And it's not the works that he's saying, well done. Certainly those works matter. They put on display the power and wonder of God's salvation. Well done. Your hope wasn't in you. It wasn't in your works. It was in me. And the advocate turns to the Father and says, You know, you're rendering, you're paying back what this one deserves. Remember, I said this is on an individual, but what this one deserves. I already paid it. It's paid for. And he switches hats from advocate to intercessor. Intercessing on our behalf by his own blood. Enter in, my child. Enter in. Oh, but Jesus, you know all those things I did? No. <laughs> Enter in. So often, we think in terms of, I really want justice. When it boils right down to it, you do not want God's justice. You want His mercy. <laughs> you want His mercy. So He's justified us in Christ Jesus. And He has called us to walk and to live in a particular way. What we see in this text is we see that the attitude, the motivations of our life are much more in view here than the actions. The attitude, not of this will merit me favor, but because I have been given this gift, this love. This is how I'll live. And it flows out of a heart that is filled with love, filled with the knowledge of having been forgiven. 
Simon, let me tell you something. You see this woman? Speaking of the one at his feet. You know, Simon, when I came in here, you didn't give me anything to wash my feet. But she hadn't stopped washing them with her tears since she came in here. You know, Simon, I know exactly what kind of woman she was. But I also know what kind of woman I've made her now. Do you know why she's showing so much love for me? There's been a lot of forgiveness take place in her life. All that she's ever done has been forgiven. And she came to realize it. She knows it. She's been set free. Have you been set free? It's that that motivates us. It's that that drives us forward. It's that that causes us to persevere in doing good. And it's that that sets the aim of my life. Not on myself. Poor me. But on Him. And what only He can bring. Don't you thank God for His salvation through Jesus Christ alone? Aren't you grateful that he has saved us to the uttermost? Not because he was executing justice based on our works. But because he is merciful and gracious and good. Not because you were worth it. But because he is giving. And loving. It's because of the cross. It's because of redemption. It's for the sake of the redeemed. That we come to this table. We come as those who are persevering and doing good. That's how we come. We come as those who have called on the name of the Lord and have been saved. We come as those who have the expectation not of a judgment of wrath and fury that will not be revoked. But we come to those as those who have been given eternal life as we seek glory and honor and immortality. I want us to pray in just a moment. Consider ourselves, our own hearts, our own minds, in light of this message and in light of this table. I want us to remember that we're remembering Christ's sacrifice. And we are proclaiming 
the Lord's death until he comes. We're remembering what he did for us on the cross. We're remembering that he bled and died and rose so that we, so that we could have eternal life. We're coming to this table to renew our commitment through faith and repentance. Remember that that is a way of life, faith and repentance. It's not something that we do one Sunday morning when we walk down the aisle and then we never do it again. No, we believe and repent consistently. Just as consistently as we sin. We don't come to this table perfected but we do come to this table changed, new, having been forgiven, and pursuing with perseverance, doing what God has called us to do. Not only is it a renewal of our commitment today, but it's a realizing of the future hope that we will be with him. One day it won't just be a piece of bread and a little cup. One day it'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Best meal you'll ever eat. Not because of what's on the table. Because it's been pointed out to me that before the fall, it was only vegetables that they ate, so maybe that's a thing. But instead, it'll be the best meal because of whose table it is. It's the table of the Lord. We'll be gathered around the table with Him. We'll be enjoying His presence. And what we have today is a microcosm of that. Of gathered saints. Taking a symbol of his body. And putting it in ours. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Taking the cup and putting it in you. Knowing that we've been forgiven and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And have earned no invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb table. But it's been given to us freely. So as we come to this table, we don't come with our perfection. We come with our hearts filled with assurance that he says, draw near.
Come near, my child. Come near. Confess. Believe. Repent. And know the goodness of the Lord's salvation. As we take this today, I remind you, this is for those believers who have been baptized and believers' baptism. So if there's children with us who have not professed Christ, have not been baptized, they should not participate. And I remind you parents, what an opportunity to talk to your children, no matter what age they are, about the gospel. If you're a guest here today, you're welcome to participate with us. If you're a guest, not a member, you can participate with us on the condition that you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have been baptized as a believer, that you're a member of an evangelical church that preaches the gospel of salvation, that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if you would be permitted at your own church to take this ordinance, we welcome you to receive it with us as well. If you, in examining yourself, find that you have known unconfessed sin or you are boldly living in unrepentant sin, you shouldn't participate in this ordinance. Let's take a moment to pray. And I'll close this in that prayer and we'll take the table.